0: This year we've been looking at a, a, a series that's just really been based on kingdom investments, this idea that we all have an opportunity to sow seed, and in sowing seed we can reap some kind of fruit. We can we can gain something. And the challenge that God has put on my heart as pastor at the beginning of this year is there are some investments that we like to talk about, and there are some investments that we don't usually talk about. And I want to talk about the ones that we don't always spend time talking about. My goal is that as, as we look at this, there are kingdom investments that you and I can be making in ourselves, that if we do make them, we will see fruit. We will see benefit. I'm standing here promising you. I feel like I'm the dude On TV, it says, just invest in this, take this investment, and it's going to pay dividends. I promise you, if you begin to exercise the discipline, I talked about Sabbath rest. That's taking time to cease and just be in his presence and be with God. That's being intentional about that time. I promise you that you will reap benefit. Last week, the discipline that we talked about was the idea of submission. I promise you. The better you submit, the better your life will be. The more disciplined we are at putting his will over my will, his mission before my mission, the better you will be in, in, in this world, the better your heart will be, the better your mind will be, the better your life will be, the better your anxiety will be. These are ways that if we practice the discipline, but see, that's the hard part. I've been starting, and, and I'm just going to reference 1 Timothy chapter 4. There's a verse that says, train yourselves to be godly. In the New American Standard, it says, discipline yourself to be godly. And that's where we struggle. I want to train my. How do I train myself to cease? I'm telling you, Sabbath rest is a lot of training. How do I train myself to submit? I'm telling you, <laughs> it's a lot of work to, to put the practice of submission in your life every day. Today I want to talk about another discipline, and I'm going to read two verses or two portions of Scripture. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. James chapter 5, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Today I want to talk about the discipline of confession. I want to talk about what it means for, for children of God. I want to talk about what it means for you and I to live with the discipline of confession. Over the course of this day, I want to look at some, some stories in Scripture. And, and, and I want them to relate to our lives because I believe that, that we struggle to confess. That we struggle, whether it's confessing. Now, I think we've got to confess to ourselves. We've got to confess to God. And we've got to confess to each other. And we struggle probably even confessing to ourselves most of the time. Let alone going to God or others. And I believe that the better equipped we are when it comes to the discipline, this this discipline unlocks freedom in our lives. So 2nd Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life he's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory through these he's given us these very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate we have a place to participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption the world caused by evil desires verse 5 rather than training ourselves i want to say today for this very reason Make every effort, you know, this says to add uh, to your faith goodness and goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and godliness, mutual affection, mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to preach on the discipline of confession and that we could make every effort, that we can make every effort to see this discipline applied to our life. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you this morning that we're in your house. And I thank you, God, that we have investments that we can sow in us, that you show us in Scripture that will produce fruit. There's certainty in the investments that we can make. And God, as we spend time in your word, as we spend time talking today, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate to each of us what we need to hear. I believe, God, there's freedom in this place today. I believe, God, there's a word that that you need us to comprehend, that we can begin to make any effort, rather than every effort, but some effort to train ourselves, to discipline ourselves for this discipline of confession. We yield to you. We submit to you. And ask that your will would be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. So confession, this word confession in Scripture, it's an interesting word in the Old Testament. I read Proverbs chapter 28. And the word that is interpreted uh, in Proverbs chapter 28 for confession is the word yada. And if you'll recall, and I'm sure everybody remembers, because everything I preach you remember, so what Greg preached you remember too. You know what I mean? Uh, When Greg taught earlier last year, he taught on the seven words in the Old Testament for praise. Praise. And one of those words that he taught on was this word yada. Like it, it's translated sometimes in scripture. The word that was used in Proverbs chapter 28, it's transferred as, it, it, it's, it's translated, I'm sorry, as praise. Literally, it means to raise your hands. That's the position of praise that it's talking about. But it's also translated in scripture. And what I saw was, when it's translated other times, it means to acknowledge, To confess and to own. So when we read Proverbs uh, chapter 28, wherever that was back here, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's the same word that means when I acknowledge, when I confess, when I own my sin, I find mercy. I'm going to talk about ownership quite a bit today. But before I get there, I just want to look at a couple examples in Scripture. The first one, most of us know the story of of David, right? We've heard his story, the shepherd boy, the mean Goliath, the Philistine that was threatening them. King's scared. They don't know who's going to fight him. He stands out. He screams every day. David comes out. He kills the giant. He becomes king. Things are good in David's life, right? I mean, things are good. He's a king. He went from shepherd to king. His brothers thought he was nuts. He's now the king. He's in charge of everything. He's anointed, it says in Scripture. He's anointed by God. And then 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, there's something in there that I didn't unpack today, but it says when kings go off to war, but the king was not at war. There's probably about being something where you're supposed to be. okay? And, and you, can, you can let the Holy Spirit speak you on that. That's not my point of my sermon today. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And that woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. David messed up. Got it? David sinned, right? Anyone here wrestling with that reality? David screwed up. He saw her bathing. He called for her to come. He slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. He's in an uh uh-oh moment in life. He screwed up. David messed up. He sinned. And so what David does, and I'm not going to read the whole story, but I'm going to tell you the story. Do you know what happens when she sends word that she's pregnant? He's got to get to figure out how to cover this whole mess up. So what's he do? Well, Bathsheba's pregnant. So if I can get her and her husband together, maybe they won't be able to do the math and they'll just think that everything's his. And so he calls for Uriah to come back. And he says, hey, just go spend some time with your wife. Dude's been off at war. Logic says when he comes home and sees his wife, things will take care of themselves. Uriah comes back to David and he says, I slept outside of the tent because my heart was still at war. And while that was unsettled, I couldn't be with my wife. Oh, man. His problem wasn't taken care of because Uriah didn't participate. So you know what he does? i got to take care of this problem completely. He sends Uriah back out to war, but he tells his generals, put him at the front of the army, and Uriah gets killed. So now he's got a right to Bathsheba as the king. David at no point can acknowledge or confess he's done wrong. He's too busy trying to cover up the mess that he's made. So chapter 12. the prophet Nathan comes and talks to him, calls him out, like rebukes him, calls him out. He's mad at Nathan. It's not until verse 13, he finally says, I confess I have sinned against the Lord. We see this confession, I believe, in Psalm chapter 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are not covered. Blessed is the one whose sin does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Listen to what he says. This is chapter 11. When I kept silent, before I could acknowledge a sin, when I was too busy trying to cover it all up, when I was too busy trying to send Uriah home to be with Bathsheba, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer then in verse in chapter in chapter 12 Samuel talked or Nathan talked to me and i repented of my sin then i acknowledged my sin to you and i didn't cover up my iniquity what do i read i acknowledged and i owned what i did it wasn't about anyone else once i acknowledged and did not cover up my iniquity i said i confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I promise you when we practice the discipline of confession, the result is that God forgives you, not just of your sin, but the guilt of your sin. I want to say, we've got an enemy and he likes to keep us bound. This is a pattern that we see in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to deep stories right now. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve. Right? God tells them what? One tree. All this is yours. Just one thing. Man, it's just that one thing. Sometimes it gets us in trouble. All this is yours. Just just that, that one tree you can't eat from. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She screwed up. Right? She messed up. So she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Adam screwed up too. Then the eyes of both of them realized Or the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. Come on, I'm going to preach this in a little bit. It's going to be good. Adam screwed up. Well, the woman you put here with me, God, you put her here. You knew what kind of mess you were creating when you created a woman. I love my wife. I might have just screwed up. I'm sorry. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I want to look at this story because I believe there's something that transpires all the time in our lives. Now, let's be honest. Can we be real with each other for a second? We all screw up. Huh? Man, pastors get so screwed up because we think we can't acknowledge that we mess up too. Pastor Steve screws up. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. The reality of the story. We got two people, Adam and Eve. And what did they do? They screwed up. And what happens when we screw up? We might even feel shame. What? Isn't that what Adam and Eve felt? They felt shame. (laughs) David, uh oh, I'm in trouble. We feel shame or we feel trouble. We're trying to escape from from the problem that we made. So, what's the first thing we do? We started to cover it up. Uriah, come home. There's a fig leaf over there. They didn't. I mean, Adam and Eve didn't realize how how messed up they were. Sometimes in our sin, we're so busy concealing that it's so obvious to everyone else. Because God shows up and He says, "What? Who told you you were naked?" What do you mean? You see, the enemy comes, and the enemy tells you through shame that you're naked. He gives you an identity that God never gave you. And then Adam and Eve allowed that identity to cause them to conceal what God had created. Do You see that? This is the pattern of sin. I screw up. We all screw up. We feel shame. We're afraid of what someone else might say. And so we start to conceal, and we let, I believe the enemy told them they were naked, and they allowed the word the enemy spoke be greater than the word of the one who created them. Who told you you were naked? They didn't even know what naked was, because naked was normal. And God says, who told you you were naked? You want to talk about getting caught? Like David gets the message Bathsheba's pregnant. God says, You ate from the tree, didn't you? God didn't even come in and say, What'd you do? How'd you screw up? He called him at the sin straight up. Like, what'd you do? You ate from you ate from the tree, didn't you, Adam? Like, oh my. Like, did he have all those those apples numbered? Did he see the tree and it was out of order? <laughs> And then, Adam's response. What was his response? (laughs) It was Eve's fault. (laughs) God, you created her. You knew I lose all self-control when she offers me something. And she gave me fruit. And I ate it. I said that Hebrew word means not just to acknowledge, not just to confess, but to own. I believe that we have an ownership problem when it comes to acknowledging or, or, or speaking to what we've done wrong. I'm a parent, okay? One of my kids got sent to the principal's office last week. So I'm a bad parent because once the school calls and says my kids are in trouble, my kids come out of school and they go with dad for a little while. Because I'm not waiting until they get home because I'm going to take care of this problem now. And That's not maybe a bad parent, but that's who I am. So I go and get my child. There's only three that it could be, so if you're trying to figure out, that's fine. And I begin to have a conversation with them. And I ask them, you know, first of all, they know Dad's mad for whatever reason. Maybe it was my posture. Maybe it was my face. Maybe it was... Me. And so I pose the question because I bring him to church because they're going to come to Jesus one way or another. And it's a big space where no one can see me not be necessarily Pastor Steve for a moment. And I ask my child, what did you do wrong? I don't know. child. The school doesn't call mom or dad because you did nothing wrong. You sit there and think about it. Get the other stuff done, work other things, come back. What did you do wrong? Tears in their eyes. I don't know, dad. Well, what punishment should you get for what you did wrong? One year... Without the switch. That's his video game. Or their video game. Now it's one of two. Don't be a pastor's kid if you don't want to get talked about. Or a pastor's friend. Or in a pastor's church. Anyway. How can you say you want that kind of punishment if you don't even know what you did? I don't know, Dad, you're awfully upset, so the punishment better be pretty high. So I go back to the school, and, and, and we really can't resolve what was wrong. And, and I sit down with the principal, and I'm in the principal's office, Pastor Steve in the principal's office. I've been there a few times in my life when I wasn't a pastor. And I look at her, and I'm like, how can I correct this if he won't tell me what he did wrong? My child has no clue what they did wrong. And if he can't own what he did, there's no point in moving forward. We can punish. We can do whatever else. But until we acknowledge, until we confess, until we own what was done wrong, the rest of it doesn't matter. i tell you, we live in a time where there's plenty of people to blame. I was at a conference this week with pastors. And if one more pastor tells me The reason why they have problems right now is because of COVID, or because of political turmoil, or because of this or that. It drives me crazy. There's always going to be someone else to blame. There's always going to be someone else you can point at. Poor David, all he was doing was going for a a walk, and that woman had to come out and bathe on the rooftop for crying out loud. It's her fault. She knew she was beautiful. She didn't have to be naked. You know, we really struggle owning things in this life. There's always someone else to say, I didn't do it because she gave it to me, or I did it because they said that. Man, I cussed them out on the freeway because they cut me off. We need to stop worrying about what everyone else has done and start owning what we have done. You know what the Bible tells you? This may seem like a surprise. In this world, there will be trials. There's always going to be something that happens in your life that may cause a response that does not glorify God. That may cause a response that is against the word of God. God's not worried about the other stuff that happened. What he's worried about is you and what you've done and how you've responded. We're so quick to justify. We're so quick to say, why we did it, not what we did. At some point, I've got to say, I screwed up. If you want to know why, I can give you some of the pieces that caused me to get there. But I screwed up first. That's confession. And I'm telling you, I believe that we don't own Anything. And we love to own property and we love to own stuff. But when it comes to our problems, none of us want to own where we screwed up. We've all, well, I'm from Kentucky. So in Kentucky, it was a drawer. In Nebraska, it's a shed or a shop. That place where all the crap goes And we just shove it in there. We don't know why. We just don't want someone to see it when they come over. So in Kentucky, there's a a drawer next to the table. And whatever's on the table, you just put your arm on that. You pull that drawer open. You shove it all in there for when company's there. The last couple of times we've been at home, one of my children has had a problem with vomiting. You want to talk about freaking someone out? My kid vomited on their couch. Who wants a guest to lift up their couch while they're there? Who wants a guest going through the cushions of the couch? I mean, you can find dessert, supper, breakfast in the couch. You talk about a shameful place. We're good at hiding. We're good at Finding fig leaves or developing strategy so no one finds out, I want to be good at owning. Because the enemy wants to use your sin to cause sickness in your life. And your enemy's goal is that you'll hide your sin so deep that it never comes from within you. Your enemy's goal is that you'll put that sin in the deepest, darkest place in the back of the junk drawer where no one will ever see it, where it will never come out because he wants that sin to control you. The enemy uses sin to control your life. He speaks lies to you because of your sin. He disqualifies you because of your sin. He tells you you're naked because of your sin. Yet we just Leave it, linger, because what if? Oh my. If someone knew this, I might lose the kingdom. If someone knew this, they might not want to call me pastor. And the enemy, he's good. He's been doing it since Eve. He's had a lot of practice before you, and he knows what to tell you. He knows what to speak to you. He knows how to identify you that is contrary to what God has said. So I just hide. And that sin continues to hurt. And sometimes it's surprising. Where it comes out. Sometimes we don't know why we're broken. Sometimes we don't know why we're angry. Sometimes we don't know why we're sad. Sometimes we don't know why we feel like no one likes us. Sometimes we don't know why we're responding the way we're responding. And the reality is it's because there's something in you that was sin. There was something in you that's not good that you've just allowed to linger. When I was a youth pastor, Pastor Steve, you know, um, I always like to get in trouble with parents. So one of my sermons, I would get the garbage can out of the kitchen. And I'd tell the kids, go get a piece of garbage out of the garbage can. And I had Ziploc baggies. I said, your mom's going to love me because I'm sending you home with a piece of garbage. I said, I want you to carry that with you everywhere you go and bring it back. And you know what happens to garbage when you put it in a Ziploc baggie and you carry it with you for a while? I mean, even the little girls that didn't want to touch the disgusting, so they were trying to like finger through where something didn't have some kind of slime or some kind of junk on it. They were trying to get the clean piece of garbage. Do you know what happens to garbage? It gets disgusting the longer it lingers. So mom's asking them why they got a Ziploc baggie full of moldy cheese. Pastor told me to do it. The longer your sin stays in darkness, the more disgusting it will become. Listen, the only way to be free from that is to put it in light. The only way is to say, I screwed up. So when the enemy says you're naked, you can say, No, I'm not defined by my sin anymore, because I'm confessing not just my sin, but I'm confessing my Savior. That's what I want to own. Luke six forty five A good man brings good thing out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in the in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's inside of you is what comes out of you. I want life. I want good to come from within me. So sometimes I've got to confess. Sometimes I've got to acknowledge. Sometimes I've got to own what I've done wrong so I can own what Jesus did Right. Because I want to say, I don't know what that sin is. I don't know what that deepest, darkest place is. But Jesus Christ did right for that sin. And the way for you to acknowledge that is to confess that He's Lord, to confess that the cross was complete, the blood was shed for the forgiveness of that sin. It wasn't too big, it wasn't too bad, it wasn't too much. I want to confess that my sin has been forgiven so that when someone else comes and they begin to judge me because of what I've done wrong, I can confess not what I've done wrong now, but everything that God did right. 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, this seems conditional, right? He is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If I simply said, Who wants to be forgiven from all your sins? Most of the time, pastors, we can get a good hand raise on that one. Who wants to be cleansed from all unrighteousness? We can get a good hand raise on that one. But this is conditional on our confession. Your confession must come to yourself. I must acknowledge what I've done wrong. This is me owning it for me apart from everyone else. And once I acknowledge what I've done wrong that has set me apart, sin separates us from God. That's what sin does. That's why Pastor Steve can talk about the Bengals as sin in my life at one point. You say, I'm strange because I say that. It was a reality in my life. That's why Pastor Steve can talk about when when it came to Sabbath, that was something I have not done well. Because that neglect was sin in my life. It was allowing me to be separate from God's will. Anything in our life that separates us from Him. We like the Ten Commandments because they're clean and easy. There's more. I know, you know, when the Holy Spirit speaks, yet we still speak. When we're not submitting. (laughs) Because I got something I want, God, and it'll fit in your plan eventually. Just let me go my way. If we confess our sins, if I can acknowledge them to myself and I can acknowledge them to God, He's faithful to forgive. And the verse in James that I read in the very beginning says, "Sometimes we confess them to each other." I Man, you're crazy, Pastor. Ain't no one going to know what's going on in my deepest darkest. A shame that's keeping you from the will of God. He's put us in the body of Christ. If you can't confess your challenges. If you can't confess your trials to a brother or sister in Christ, then we got big problems in the church. Huh? And if someone can't come to you owning their sin and acknowledging their sin and you can't help them walk, not in condemnation but conviction, there's something that you want to look at in yourself too. Like we're the body of Christ. God created us as a body because we need each other. I need people who I can call and say, I need help. I need someone who I can call and say, man, this is a struggle. And they can call me up and say, hey, how are you doing? Or they can call me out and say, what are you doing? That's the body of Christ. That's how beautiful it is. That's the discipline of confession. We confess our sin, but we also confess his place. You guys can come forward. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. That's confession. I want to own what God has done for me. Yes, I own what I've done wrong, but I own what God has done right. That's the discipline of confession. Because he says the scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And one other verse, if it comes up, it's not working. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. There's a spiritual discipline. A kingdom investment of confession. It's something that we have to recognize more. What do you own? Do you want to own your nakedness? Do you want to live blaming everyone else for everything that's wrong rather than confessing and acknowledging a God who can make everything right? That's the power of confession. And I promise you, when we live with transparency, people want to be near you. Your life is free from shame. Your life is free. Now people might still point at you and they might say, oh my gosh, you did what? Someone in the church might even say, you're a terrible person. They might say, you naked fool. But it doesn't matter. Because I've been set free because of what Jesus Christ did for me. So no matter who screws it up around me, I know what I know. And this is what I own. My ownership is I screwed up, but my ownership is that God has forgiven me. You may not be there yet, but God will get you there. Because I know it. Because that's who he is. That's who my God is. And when we can live, again, we're not just justifying our sin, going around saying, yeah, (laughs) You want to know what I did last night? <laughs> We're acknowledging what separated us. There's something powerful. There's something that I want my kids to see me. do oh, stinks? You know, it's not fun sometimes? Going to your snotty little seven-year-old and saying, hey, the way I handled that situation wasn't right. And then saying, ha-ha, I told you so. Even though he was completely in the wrong and he's still in the wrong as I'm talking to him. But I want him to know that dad can admit what I've done wrong. Because there's something powerful in living that kind of life. The discipline of confession. We keep it in and we live unsettled keep it in and our bones waste away. We keep it in and we feel a heaviness and our strength is gone. But there's freedom through confession. There's light. There's release. There's, there's something that happens when we acknowledge. And what I'm sure of is that the Spirit of God is speaking in this room. And what I'm sure of is that we know. What I'm sure of is that as pastor was talking, you were saying, please, pastor, don't mention this sin or don't, don't go to that place because then there's no more denying What I'm sure of is that that lots of us have this place inside of us where we're concealing, where we're hiding, where we're allowing things to fester and grow. And what I'm sure of is that Jesus Christ wants you to have freedom this day. What I'm certain of is that the forgiveness that came through the cross of Jesus Christ can take that shame, that can take that fear, can take that title that other people have put on you and say, that is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Who you are is bought by a price. Who you are is forgiven. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I thank you for this word. Thank you for what you're doing. and God, I pray that in this place that you would help us as we wrestle. You would help us to make every effort. You would help us to to discipline ourselves. And if there's any shame, if there's any fear, there's any anxiety because of what we have done if we're consumed by what may be revealed God I pray that we could confess that we could own God stop blaming others stop blaming circumstance stop blaming this world but own God our place in this world own God your place in our lives submit to your will Allowing you to be the author that's the one who pens and finisher of all things. Slaves no longer to sin, but slaves to righteousness because we've been made right by Jesus Christ. God, help us. In Jesus' name. As they lead us in a chorus today, I I, I want to open the altars, but... I feel like this is a time for you, whether it's acknowledging to yourself or acknowledging to God. If you want a pastor to pray with you, I'll be in the front row probably, but I'm not going to be up here. But I just want to give you an opportunity to spend some time to consider. And if there's something, own it. If you've had good excuses for why you did what you did. Stop bleeding with the excuses, but start saying I messed up. And then let God the God who loved you so much, he sent his his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die so that very sin could be forgiven. Let him love you let him take that shame and lift it off of you let him take that fear and throw it in the trash let him take that junk and just remove it completely by the blood of jesus christ and leave here with freedom leave here knowing what i own i own that yeah i screwed up but i own that i've been forgiven there is no doubt because of what jesus christ did It's okay to say I screwed up. It's okay to own what we've done wrong. It's okay to say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I sin. It's okay to look someone else in the eye and say, I'm sorry for the way I just acted. I'm sorry. Not because of, you made me do it, but because I did it. That's the discipline of confession. That's how I want to live. I have to worry if someone shows up and looks in the drawer because there's nothing in the drawer. I'm almost proud when they open the drawer now. (laughs) Look at that. There ain't nothing in there. I go to Roy's shop and it's all organized. Won't get there until we own it. You won't get there until it's yes. I screwed up. One analogy, and then I'm going to stop. I remember when I was a kid growing up in the Catholic Church, I'd go to confession. We had confession. And you sit there and you talk, and and I was so stressed out every time. Pastor just made me think about what I'd done wrong. What if I forgot what I did wrong? and I sit there in the priest and I'm trying to tell him everything I did wrong and I learned at a very young age this simple thing I'm sure I did a lot more things that I don't remember right now but I want to be forgiven for them also I hope that as we leave this morning there wasn't too much pressure to figure out man if I can't acknowledge that one thing but I know that Jesus Christ's blood covers all of that Amen the Lord bless you and keep you may make his face shine upon you be gracious to you May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may your words declare what you own. Your sin, your forgiveness, your promise. Amen? Be blessed.